Good morning, everyone. I'm going to be reading from Genesis 27, verses 1 through 13. When Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that so they could not see, he called Esau, his older son, and said to him, My son. And he answered him, Here I am. He said, Behold, I am old, and I do not know the day of my own death. Now then, take your weapons, your quiver, and your bow, and go out to the field and hunt game for me, and prepare for me delicious food such that as I love, and bring it to me so that I may eat, that my soul may bless you before I die. Now Rebekah was listening when Isaac talked to his son Esau. So when Esau went to the field to hunt for game and bring it, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau. Bring me game and prepare for me the delicious food that I may eat it and bless you before the Lord before I die. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice as I command you. Go to the flock and bring me two goats, two good young goats, so that I may prepare them from, uh, so that I may prepare from them delicious food for your father, such as he loves. And you shall bring it to your father to eat so that he may bless you before he dies. But Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, Behold, my brother Esau is a hairy man, and I am a smooth man. Perhaps my father will feel me, and I shall seem to be mocking him and bring a curse upon myself and not a blessing. His mother said to him, Let your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice and go bring them to me. Lord, we just thank you for your word and just pray that uh, um, that we would be ministered to from it, that uh, your, your wisdom and uh, um, intent of these uh, passages of scripture would uh, um, sharpen us and, and help us to grow better and further and stronger in you. We just thank you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. And the alphas may be dismissed. Alphas, right? Thanks, Dave. Good morning, church. My name's Aaron. For those of you who haven't met yet, as Dave was reading, as the office head out, I was reminded a couple weeks ago, I said that Esau was a good Vermonter, but I think Isaac wasn't because he didn't know the difference between wild game and a goat. I think a Vermonter would know the difference. So happy Mother's Day. Uh, on behalf of the elders and all of us here, I just want to thank you ladies for serving us so well, uh, especially our children. And I know that Mother's Day for some of us can be uh, a challenging day, uh, and so we're aware of that, and we're praying for you, and we appreciate you all. We love you. Uh, and so this morning, as we have already seen in our passage, we have a mother and we have a father. Uh, and it doesn't take much to realize that in this passage, they are not the best examples to follow. This is your opportunity to point some fingers, okay? We can gain some wisdom from Isaac and Rebecca, but most importantly, we should trust our Heavenly Father, a God as a Father who loves us, who wants the best for us, who cares for us, who never leads us astray, and He will never ever fail us. This is a chapter again in Genesis where God doesn't say a word directly, but he is clearly 
speaking. And so this morning we'll learn three things about parenting for our mothers and our fathers here. That we should, one, be discerning. Two, that we should be dependent. And three, that we should be defenders. So would you pray with me as we get started? Father, we thank you that you are a good and loving Heavenly Father. God, we pray that you would teach us through your word this morning. You would conform us more to the image of your Son. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we get started, I want you to remember the similarities that we've seen already between some of the families in Genesis. So we'll start first with the first family, Adam and Eve. When Eve was tempted, this is what took place. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. So Adam and Eve were together when this took place, and Eve gave the fruit to her husband, who was with her. Adam didn't say a word as she was tempted with the food. We move forward a few chapters, and we have the story of Sarah and Abraham. Abraham was without child through his wife Sarah, and so Sarah gave Hagar to Abraham to bear a child. Outside of the covenant of marriage, outside of the promises. And when Sarah became upset, you might recall what, she, what took place. And Abraham had a pretty pathetic response. He says, Behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. And Sarah dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. And so Abraham didn't take responsibility for his own sin or the sin of his family in that instance. And so here we have Isaac, Abraham and Sarah's son. Rebecca, his wife, is taking matters into her own hands. He knew the promises of God, and he did not yield to them. He allowed himself to be blinded. He was physically and spiritually blind. He should have taken the initiative in serving and leading his wife here. And so as we get started in our passage, I'm going to start with you men. Some of you ladies are like, yes, let's do this. We'll come back to you. We all have work to do in our parenting church. I couldn't find where I heard this, but the greatest gift that we as men can give to our children is to love our wives well. To care for your wife so your son knows how to care for his wife. To protect your wife so your daughters know the type of husband to look for. To pray for your wife so that your children know what it's like to Pray with their spouse to lead your wife in God's word so your kids know that your role in the home is to shepherd your home with God's word. The husband is the head of the wife. We know this from scripture. But that doesn't mean it's an authoritarian or chauvinistic or patriarchal sense. That means we are to love our wife like Christ loved the church. And what did Christ do for the church? He died for the church. And so, brothers, we get to die 
for our wives. We do not get authority from anywhere other than from God's word. It is a delegated authority in God's word that we are under God's word's authority. It's the same for our government. It's the same for our church. It's the same for every area of authority that we have and that we are not entitled to that authority if it is not submitted in following the example and the instruction in God's word. And so church, if your pastors lead you that is contrary to God's word, find some new pastors. You are not allowed to go find a new husband or a wife, but find some new pastors if we're not leading it. We are to steward God's authority, and we are also to steward our wives, brothers. We are to steward the women of this church, to lead them, to care for them, to shepherd them according to God's word. And so let's begin by unpacking what we saw in this first section in Genesis 27. And so Mom's Church, our first admonishment in parenting this morning is that we should be discerning, that we should trust God's word. And so we have a lot of blindness happening here in this passage. We have deception, and so we need to be discerning and be reminded of what we see in God's word. So this family is dysfunctional. The sins of their forefathers are continuing to plague them. And I'm not personally entirely sure what to do about generational sin, but I think we have a generational teaching, an example set by their parents that are beginning to resurface again in the bad habits of their children. So, like this family, I am very similar, that I example and I model what sinning is like in my home. The bad habits that I really don't like in my kids, guess where they picked it up from? From me. When I hear a a kid yell at another kid and I can get on them for yelling at them, I just need to remind myself that they probably learned it from me. Let's not be blind, brothers and sisters. Let's live in light and truth, and let's trust God's word. And again here, Moses is not ashamed to call these patriarchs old in Genesis. Isaac is old, and they don't have estate attorneys to get everything settled on who was going to get what resources. It was just, just a tradition where the property and the resources were divided equally, but the firstborn was given a double share. And so in this culture with this two boys, the family estate would have been divided into three parts and Jacob would have, or I'm sorry, Esau would have received two portions of that. But if you recall from a couple weeks ago in Genesis 25, it sets the stage for this section in our passage. Let me remind you of it. It says, Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Isaac loved food. Rebecca loved Jacob. And note in this passage, in verse 5, Esau is called his son. In verse 6, Jacob is called her son. There is a divide here. They had some pretty awkward family thanksgivings, I think. And they continued to happen probably after all the instances that we'll see this morning. 
And so if you recall a couple weeks ago, I said that this favoritism would come back to haunt this family. And it's happening here. Isaac wants to bless his firstborn son. He wants to do it over a meal, which was a custom in the time and was common to do. But Isaac clearly wants to do the blessing because of the food, not because of Esau's character. Isaac, like Eve, saw that the food was a delight to the eyes and was good for food. And Isaac wanted some of Esau's game, like Esau wanted some of Jacob's stew we saw a couple weeks ago. These men were blinded by their desire for food. One commentator called this act of Isaac sensual. I think the guy was just hungry. I think sensual sounds a little too provocative, but Proverbs 23.3 says, Do not desire his delicacies, for they are deceptive food. Rebecca knew her husband's sinful tendencies, and she jumped at the opportunity to take advantage of them. Isaac was blind to the betrayal of his wife, He was blind to the thing that would eventually rip their family apart. And these two parents are on completely separate pages with very different goals. Isaac should have taken the initiative and led his wife and not letting her take the lead on things. As one commentator said, Isaac is quite deliberately prepared to overlook Esau's misdemeanors as well as God's given Oracle. Isaac was probably aware of the promises that were given to Rebekah a few chapters earlier. Isaac is against both God and Rebekah in the end. But who wins, church? God wins. A couple weeks ago we saw in Genesis 25 that two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other. The older shall serve the younger. Isaac could have gone to God's word and to gone to God to ask for wisdom. We see in James 1.5, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given to him. He could have asked God to give him endurance to withstand some temptation. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Isaac allowed himself to be deceived, which is just as bad as the one doing the deceiving. It's not the best dad as an example here. So that's dad. Let's move to mom. Like Sarah, Rebecca starts taking things into her own hands. And so she appeals to Jacob, her son, to follow her instructions. She says, obey me, my son. Jesus had some stern words for adults leading children astray. He says, but whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and be drowned in the depths of the sea. If you're like me, my family is looking forward to going into the river, maybe floating it when it warms up, But the millstone is not a flotation device. A millstone is God's means of accountability here, and it's severe when leading God's children astray. 
Rebecca even foolishly says, let your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice. Go and bring them to me. Friends, I don't care what it is. You don't want God's curse falling on you, even for your children. It is not worth it. Let's care and lead our children and each other in the love and submission to God revealed in and through his word. Let's not allow sensuality or our preferences to allow our guard to be put down. Whatever pleasure you desire, comfort, protection, finances, good job and education for your child, for health, whatever it is that would cause you to sacrifice not only your purity, but your child's purity, it is not worth it. It is wrong. That's what the Bible calls sins, and we don't want God's curses falling on us. And so parents, moms, dads, church, we learn a lot about parenting, but most importantly, we learn a lot about a good and loving and heavenly perfect father. And so let's be discerning. Let's always remember that God is true. Let's pick this back up in verse 14. And so he went and he took and brought them to his mother. And his mother prepared delicious food, such as his father loved. Then Rebekah took the best garments of her older son Esau, which were with him in the house, and put them on Jacob, her younger son. And the skins of the young goats she put on his hands and the smooth part of his neck. And she put the delicious food and the bread which she had prepared into the hand of her son Jacob. And so he went into his father and said, My father. And he said, Here I am. Who are you, my son? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you have told me. Now sit up and eat of my game, that your son may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, How is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? He answered, Oh, because the Lord your God granted me success. Then Isaac said to Jacob, Please come near, that I may feel you, my son, to know whether you are really my son Esau or not. So Jacob went near his father Isaac, who felt him and said, The voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he did not recognize him, because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him. He said, Are you really Esau, my son? He answered, I am. Then he said, Bring it near to me, that I may eat of my son's game and bless you. So he brought it near to him, and he ate, and it brought him wine, and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, Come near and kiss me, my son. So he came near and kissed him, and Isaac smelled the smell of his garments and blessed him and said, See, the smell of my son is the smell of the field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you of the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. Let people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be lords over your brothers, and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you, and blessed be everyone who blesses you. And so parents, moms, dads, church, we learn a lot about parenting. Most importantly, we learn about a good, loving, and perfect heavenly father. And so, as we saw in the first section, that we are not to be deceived, that we are to be discerning. And this next one is that we need to be dependent, to trust God will keep his promises based on his character. We'll unpack this a bit. 
And so Jacob is obviously blessed. He is chosen by God, and it's all dependent, as we saw a couple weeks ago, on God's providence, his working out of his wise sovereignty. And so Jacob begins to execute the plans of his mother. Remember here what Jacob's name means. It means he wrestles. He wrestled the birthright from his brother. Now he's wrestling the blessing from his father. He is the wrestling deceiver. And when he enters to see his father, Isaac was kind of shocked because it took place so quickly. Kind of like when your kids have been asked to clean up their room and everything is done so quickly and you go upstairs and it's under the bed or shoved into the closet. We know. Kids, your parents know what's going on. Isaac's guard is up, though. Remember, he's basically blind. And so Isaac doubts four times that Jacob is Esau. And I think it's for good reason. It was a quick hunt. His voice sounded like Esau or like Jacob's. His arms were not as hairy. And Jacob used his sense of touch, his sense of smell, his sense of taste in eating the game. And when Jacob came close, he smelled his garments. The one that is troubling for me, though, is when Isaac asked how it was done so quickly in verse 20. Jacob says this, Because the Lord, your God, granted me success. Jacob lies about being Esau. He lies about how he got the game. He lied about his hairiness. But worst of all, he took the name of the Lord in vain. He lied. He says that the covenant-keeping God of the universe has granted me success. The one sense that Isaac needed to remember was this, his spiritual sense. His sensuality and use of his senses didn't protect him from the spiritual errors before him. And church, God is spirit. You can't smell him. You can't taste him. You can't touch him. We need something else to help us here. And so Jacob is insinuating that God granted me this success when it wasn't God. And as the author Kevin DeYoung says, our name is not tangential to our being. It marks us and identifies us. Over time, as people get to know us, our name embodies who we are. And he says further, that the way that we see God's glory is the hearing of his name. And to know the name Yahweh, the merciful and gracious one, it is not merely to know something about God. It is to know God himself. This, by Jacob, is an irreverent use of God's name. The Bible doesn't want us to ever forget the holy importance of the name of God. It's his character, and we are never, ever to distort it. And so Jacob even uses some wine to make sure he has more control over the situation. And Isaac responds, and he blesses his son Jacob with universal sovereignty over everything he has. The blessing consists of three things. In verse 27, of what Jacob is, that he would be blessed. 
in verse 28, uh, what he will receive in the provision and the material blessings and the entire estate. And also in his relationship with others in verse 29, that he will have authority over all of them. And for an exclamation point, Isaac passes on the blessing his father received in Genesis 12. Let me remind you of that in Genesis 12, 3. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And in our passage, cursed be, or, cursed be everyone who curses you, and blessed be everyone who blesses you. And so God uses the deception of Rebekah and Jacob and the blindness of Isaac to continue the line of the promised family. And it's hard to understand for our minds why God would allow something like this to take place, even using sin, but he does. And as our New England brother Jonathan Edwards said, a rough paraphrase is, it would be a reproach and blasphemy to suppose God to be the author of sin. The permitter of sin, though, God is, not the agent of sin. And it's for his wise, holy, and most excellent ends and purposes that he allows these things to happen. And so parents, church, moms, dads, we learn about parenting. But most importantly, we learn about a good, loving, and faithful Heavenly Father. Let's be discerning that God is always true. Let's be dependent and rest in His character. That God's Word and God's character are intricately intertwined together. And God's Word and His actions in His character begin to cause some division. We'll see this and we pick it back up in verse 30. As soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, when Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac, his father, Esau, his brother, came in from his hunting. He also prepared delicious food and brought it to his father. And he said to his father, let my father arise and eat of his son's game that you may bless me. His father Isaac said to him, who are you? He answered, I'm your son, your firstborn son, Esau. Then Isaac trembled very violently and said, who was it that hunted game? And brought it to me, and I ate it before you came, and I have blessed him. Yes, and he shall be blessed. And as soon as Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me, even me also, O my father. But he said, Your brother came deceitfully, and he has taken away your blessing. Esau said, It is he rightly named Jacob, for he has cheated me these two times. He took away my birthright, and behold, now he has taken away my blessing. Then he said, Have you not reserved a blessing for me? Isaac answered and said to Esau, Behold, I have made him lord over you and of all his brothers, and I have given him for servants. And with grain and wine I have sustained him. What then can I do for you, my son? Esau said to his father, Have you but one blessing, my father? Bless me, even me also, my, O oh my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. Then Isaac, his father, answered and said to him, Behold, away from the fatness of the earth shall your dwelling be, and away from the dew of the heaven on high. By your sword you shall live, and you shall serve your brother. But when you grow restless, you shall break his yoke from your neck. 
And so we have a close call. Right after the circumstances with Isaac and Jacob, Jacob is immediately leaving the room and Esau walks in. Continued to be blind to who is in the room, Isaac asks, who are you? And the spiritual implications of what has taken place are starting to affect the two characters physically. Isaac first, after Esau comes into the tent, the the truth is revealed to Isaac of what has taken place. Isaac begins to be worried that the tensions are mounting and the text says that Isaac trembled very violently. Isaac's physical body is responding to the circumstances. Like when you get the text or an email from someone, hey, can we set up a time where we can get together to talk? Or the someone who you love says, hey, I, I need to sit down with you and talk about some hard things. Or when you get the doctor that calls you, not the nurse, and says they need to review the results. Your heart beats, you start to sweat, your body starts to respond and your stomach turns. And what began as a desire for physical pleasure of food has turned so that he would not be able to bless this son has turned into physical stress. Isaac responded physically with his body. Esau responded as well. When Esau realizes what has taken place, the text says that he screamed. You ever got to the point of frustration where you just have to scream? Like you get a pillow and you put your head in it and you have to scream? We get to the end of ourselves and our frustration, we just cannot control it. This is Esau. The wrestling deceiver has deceived him again. And he physically responds with his voice. Jesus said, out of the mouth, the heart speaks. When Esau at last speaks, his plea is pretty pathetic and simplistic and desperation. Bless me, even my father. He's willing to take the crumbs that are left in utter desperation. He was willing to give up his birthright, but the blessing was stolen from him. And he knows that he has nothing left. And so bitterness begins to well up in Esau. Hatred welled up in Esau. Holiness was completely absent for Esau. He sold his birthright, and as the author of Hebrews says about this story, that he was immoral and given, given over to sensuality like his father Isaac. Esau, like Isaac, desired the sensuous pleasures of the world and not the pleasures of the world to come. As one author says, we must not be like Esau. Rather, we must treasure the position we have as children of the covenant more than we treasure the pleasures of the world. And as we were reminded a couple weeks ago by the Apostle Paul that all of this was taking place, as he says in Romans 9, before these boys had done nothing, either good or bad, before they were even born. And as God acts, as we depend on him and he communicates what he does and what he wants for his people, there is going to be division that takes place. Some people aren't going to like what happens. And division is natural as some reject God's call on their lives. The blessing is gone. 
It cannot be taken back or transferred. Let the peoples serve you and nations bow down to you. Be the Lord over your brothers and may your sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you and blessed be everyone who blesses you. Esau is cursing his brother. And so parents and moms, dads, we learn about parenting. And we learn about a good, loving, heavenly father. Division will happen, but we have a good and loving father to help us. And so that doesn't mean we shouldn't be discerning. That doesn't mean that we shouldn't be dependent. It also means that we should be defenders. We'll pick this back up in verse 41. Now Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself, The days of mourning for my father are approaching. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. But the words of Esau, her older son, were told to Rebekah. So she sent and called Jacob, her younger son, and said to him, Behold, your brother Esau comforts himself about you by planning to kill you. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice. Arise, flee to Laban, my brother in Haran, and stay with him a while until your brother's fury turns away. Until your brother's anger turns away from you, and he, until he forgets what you have done to him. Then I will send and bring you from there. And why should I be bereft of you both in one day? And Rebekah said to Isaac, I loathe my life because of the Hittite women. If Jacob marries one of the Hittite women like these, one of the women of the land, what good will my life be to me? So that verse 46 we'll pick up a little bit next week. And so the hate of Esau regarding his brother has moved from his birthright directly to his brother. Remember, Jacob I loved, Esau I hated. Jacob I loved and Esau I hated makes much more sense now, especially in light of Psalm 5.5. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evil doers, and Esau is doing evil God has wrath towards sin, and the hate Esau has for his brother has always been there. Think like it was for Cain towards his younger brother, Abel. Remember what God said to Cain in Genesis 4. It says, The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. And so people will reject God and his word, but what should our response be? This protective mother steps in, like many of you in this room. She heard the words of Esau. She began to act, and Esau comforted himself with his hatred and his desire for murder. And Jesus in Matthew 5 equates hatred with murder. The Apostle John says this in 1 John 3, Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. And so Rebecca's actions is to send her son away, to defend him, to protect him. She started this whole thing, but it's how she finishes this chapter. She does one right thing. Kind of. And so church, we have each other to come alongside each other. 
Moms, you model this very well. You would do anything for your kids and your grandkids. We can learn and help each other to do the same way, to do the same thing as a church. And though I said the kind of, because did you realize where Rebecca sent her son Jacob? To her brother Laban in verse 43. You may recall Laban from a couple weeks ago. He's the one who loves God's stuff, the stuff that God entrusts to other people. So she's saying, Jacob, I want you to go from your bad brother and go to my bad brother. And there's irony here. Rebecca sends Jacob to be further tempted by another bad man. We'll pick this up in the next few weeks. This fallible family continues to stumble over themselves. And they have a lack of discernment in remembering what God says in his word. And so church, Rebecca, she started all of this. She was an honorable woman, if you recall, from chapter 25, going to her husband Isaac, taking him as his bride, marrying him in faith. But she started this chaos in chapter 27, taking things into her own hands while her husband Isaac stood by and did nothing. And Isaac almost falls out of the, the book of Genesis at this point. Rebecca does one honorable thing. She tries to preserve her son's life by defending him. And so friends, happy Mother's Day. We've learned this morning, I hope, how to be better parents. Let's not be deceived in our parenting. Let's be dependent on God in our parenting. Let's be defenders of our children and God's promises in our parenting. And we, in our frailty and our failures and our fallibility, we cannot mess up God's plan. But let's help each other to make it to the end, to steward our children well. We will fail at our discernment. We will fail at our dependence and we will cause division. We will fail in our defending, but God never will fail. He is perfect. He's a perfect parent in our text this morning. He's also true in his word. He will always be dependable. We can trust in him. His word may divide and we can help each other to endure and to protect ourselves from that. And so we learn in our text this morning how to approach our parenting, ultimately trusting in God alone, who works out his plans, who saves us, who saves our children, who forgives them like he has forgiven us, helps us to walk in a way, in the way, and in his word, that God himself defends us from his own wrath by sending his own son to us, not away from us, to die for us. And so in our failings, God is faithful. God has promised his son through this line of Jacob. And this son would ultimately come to pay the penalty for our sins on the cross in our place. He would raise and give us a newness of life that we can no longer walk in darkness, deceived, needing defense. We can walk in the light. And so there's no greater place to be, church. We will fail at parenting, and God forgives us. Kids, 
your parents will fail you. I know you believe they've already failed you at times, but they will fail you again, and God will forgive them. God forgives. Kids, you will fail at times, and God forgives you through the death of his son. And so that's the best Mother's Day gift I think we can give each other, that we can direct each other to rest in the finished work of Christ on the cross for our sins, the finished resurrection that gives us a newness of life. We can discern and we can trust God's word. We can depend and trust God's character. And ultimately, we trust that God will defend us as he defeated our greatest enemies of Satan and sin and death. So would you pray with me as we invite the worship team back up? Father, we thank you that you are a good, loving, dependable, perfect, heavenly Father, that you give us not only examples of of dads, but on this day, as Mother's Day, we celebrate that you give us a good example for our mothers. God, we thank you for the gift of these women who sacrificed so much, that our mothers all have sacrificed so much for us, that as a picture of who you are, sacrificing, giving, forgiving, again and again and again. So, Father, we thank you, and we pray that you would help us to worship you as we finish out our time together. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.